I want to tell you a story. So, a man, a holy man, arrives in a village. And immediately he begins to proclaim Christ to the villagers. In the beginning, he had large crowds that gathered to listen to him. But over time, and he made many conversions, many people who came to Christ. But over time, those crowds thinned out until eventually there was no one left. But the man, the holy man, kept showing up every day and proclaiming Christ. At this point, a villager arrives in the city. And he sees this phenomenon, and he goes up to the man and says, what are you doing? There's no one to listen to you. And the holy man responds, well, in the beginning, I proclaimed Christ to change the lives of others, to convert them and bring them to Christ in the Christian way. But then they all went on their way, the way of the city, the way of everyone else. So I continue to proclaim Christ for myself. The story, the point of the story is this. In the beginning, for us as Christians, up and down the centuries, up until really the last couple decades, Christ was proclaimed throughout the world. And our churches were packed with people who came to hear Christ proclaim and learn about his life and his Christian way and live that way. With the dawn of the modern age and of secularism, what we're seeing now is people who are going the way of the city, the way of the village. What is that way? It's the way we've heard other people either mouth it or we ourselves have mouthed it. It goes something like this. Well, everyone else is doing it. So it must be okay. And off people go throughout our cities, following the way of everyone else. But the story teaches us that even though that's the case, here we are in a church on Sunday proclaiming Christ. And not just a minister, but all of us. Like when we stand and we proclaim our belief in God through the creed. Or we stand again and we come up in this communion line and it's proclaimed to us the body of Christ, the blood of Christ. And we say, Amen. It is so. It is true. And so we carry on to proclaim Christ so that what is happening to other people may not happen to us. That we may not be changed and converted to the ways of the world, but always ready and prepared to change the hearts and the lives of people who live in the world. And I thought of this story when I was reading again the very familiar parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke's Gospel. Because something of this story highlights something of what Jesus is trying to give us as a very important message for our lives. And as often is with the parables, there are layers of meaning, right? Our early church fathers called them allegories. Where on the surface, it looks like, in this case, it's about the material assistance of people who are need our neighbor. And indeed it is. But there are multiple layers, such as the moral assistance, the assistance we give through truth, the assistance we give in the spiritual life. 
When we begin to peel those layers back as we understand certain linchpins, certain keys that open this up to us, that are available to the Jews of their day because they know their culture, but not so much to us. So let's dive into that. One of the things is this. Jesus, in the second question that he's asked by a scribe, who is my neighbor? There's a context for that. And the context is that the scribe first asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what does the law say? What does Moses teach us? And the scribe pulls from two different parts of the Old Testament, the first five books of the Old Testament, most sacred parts for the Jews, called the Pentateuch or the Torah. In one part, he answers from the scriptures, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And in another part, he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, great, go and do that. And you will live. You'll have the fullness of life. But the man then goes on and says, well, okay, then who is my neighbor? And it's in that question of salvation, of what it takes to get into heaven, that Jesus tells us this story. Now, other parts that we need to understand to truly understand this parable is the cities. So, the man who is beaten by robbers and left half dead, Jesus tells us, is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. Every Jew in that time knew the difference between the two. And would have understood the symbolism of an allegory such as this parable that Jesus is talking about. Jerusalem, of course, we know, is the holy city. It's where we make the effort to grow in holiness. The first part, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. But this man, Jesus tells us through Luke's gospel, is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And Jericho, in the time of Jesus' life, is the city of sin. A great city of sin. A notorious city of sin. And so what's going on with this man is that he's leaving his Jewish faith behind. He's going the way of the world like everyone else. Everyone else is doing it. And so he's traveling to this city. Along the way, he's so, it's a journey for him. Along the way, he falls into robbers. Now, if we're disinterpreting this on a material level then we think the robbers are taking what's most valuable to him. You know, like uh, uh, for us, a ring, a wedding ring or something, or a wallet or whatever. And then beating him up and leaving him half dead, physically half dead. But remember, Jesus is teaching on a deeper level here than just the material. This man, on his journey to the city of sin, falls in with people who take what's most precious from him. What is most precious to you? Our faith in God. And when that is taken away as he journeys deeper towards the city of sin, then Luke tells us he's left half dead. That's another key word. Jews understood 
two parts to living. The temporal living and the eternal living, just like us. And so we can live a temporal life full of life. All the successes and the happinesses and um, everything that we want. Following the way of the world. Doing it like everyone else is doing it. And yet, be because of that, spiritually dead, which is the eternal part. But it is, as we know, the most important part, because going back to the context of this parable, Jesus is answering a question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so this eternal spark is snubbed out, is stolen, is taken away from this man. As he goes to seek happiness in the city of sin, the thing that is most precious to him is stolen away. And we do the same thing, right? And we can do this even from the point of a Christian. Somewhere in our psyche, whether it's present on a conscious level or an unconscious level, we know that God wants our happiness. Like he speaks about in the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, another translation is, blessed are you, the eternal life, or happy are you, the temporal life. They have the same translations. They mean the same thing because they're two parts of the same coin. And so we, you know, looking at one another in our own lives, we can see people who are maybe close to us and who are out there living the first part and living it to the fullness, but not living the second part trying to Love the Lord, the God, with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their soul, and all their strength. And we say to them, oh, well, they're happy. And so we don't rescue them for the most important part. The part that is the eternal happiness that God offers us. We settle with them for the temporal happiness. And this is exactly what is going on with the first two persons who come upon him. These are religious folks, just like you and I are. And just like you and I, we're in a church today trying to fill up on the first part, loving the Lord, the God, with everything we are. But what about the second part? So, in the parable, a priest and a Levite come along. And these are, Levites probably are the best modern-day version of that, are deacons. So these are really religious people in Jesus' day. They come along, and they see this man half-beaten. And they play that religious card like we do. And they see this man, and from two points of view from the Old Testament, they make their decisions. From the law, from Moses, what he prescribes. And they look for loopholes just like we do. Excuses politely excuse us from helping other people. And so, one of those is the law from Moses that says, if you run into a person who is bleeding, so he has been half beaten to death, he's bleeding, you're not allowed to come in contact with blood and it will make you ritually impure if you're about ready to offer sacrifice. And the priest offers a sacrifice, and the Levite 
assist him in that sacrifice. They're on their way to Jerusalem, not to Jericho. They're trying to live their religious lives. But because of what Moses taught them and following the letter of the law, they missed the spirit of the law. Or they missed the second part and only go for the first part. And so they walk on by. And these are their neighbor. This man is Jewish. This is their kin. This is their people. And we often do the same thing with people who are close to us. Family members. Significant other people in our lives. Neighbors. Fellow prisoners. Who for any number of reasons have bought into the lie of Jesus' day and the lie of our day. Well, everyone else is doing it. So they go that way, and, but we see that they're happy in a temporal sense, and we think that is enough for them. And so we politely excuse ourselves from giving them the greatest treasure, the first part of Jesus' answer, bringing them back to loving God with everything they are. Which leads us to the third person. Who encounters him. The third person is a Samaritan. And we've heard this plenty of times. Samaritans hated the Jews and Jews hated the Samaritans. It goes all the way back seven centuries to the occupation of the Assyrian Empire. When they came into the northern part of Israel and occupied the ten tribes of the twelve tribes of Israel. And the way they did it was clever. It's happening in our day too. They inbred pagans with Jews. They brought people from other nations, with other religions, and they mixed them up in order to breed out the Judaism in them. And it worked. And so they started worshiping other gods. And they no longer saw Jerusalem as the holy city. They set up Mount Gerizim as their holy temple. They hated one another for centuries. The Samaritan shows up, He sees the man, and he sees the need of the man, the second part. Love your neighbor as yourself. But look what he does. Again, the symbolism of parables is important. He first addresses the wound. With what? Wine and oil. Remember that Jesus instituted the seven sacraments. It's in the scriptures. And now Luke, a generation later, the first generation of Christians, is recording this for us. They're already celebrating the seven sacraments. Wine, of course, Jesus takes and changes into his blood. So the Samaritan is giving him a sacrament. The Eucharist, which we... Now this is all prefigurement, and this is in symbolism, but this is being lived out in the first generation of Jesus' life, of Jesus, and then of Luke's life, all the way down to you and I. What does that sacrament do? Restores us to eternal life. Forgives us sin and puts the life of God back in us. And the oil is the same. Oil is used for three of our sacraments. Actually, four. It's used for priesthood, for ordination. It's used for the anointing of the sick. It's used for confirmation. And it's used for baptism. Let's just stick, though, with... Anointing of the sick. In the book of James, it says, James recommends, he says, 
Whenever you have someone sick among you, send for the priest and let the priest come over them and, pour, and pray with them and pour oil over them. And the prayer of the faith will save the sick persons and they will be restored to, restored to eternal life. So right here in this parable is this Samaritan, the one we would not be inclined to, who comes to this man and gives him oil and wine, symbols of our sacraments. <laughs> but it doesn't stop there. The same Samaritan then takes him to an inn, and he says to the innkeeper, care for this man while I go away. Here's some... Um, you know, some silver coins to care for him. And when I come back, if you've done more, I will pay you back for what you've done for this man. Now, that's important also. Because you and I believe that the Samaritan is Jesus Christ, and rightly so. In Luke's lifetime, and for the next three generations going into the fourth century, we did not have churches Houses of God like this, cathedrals and basilicas and so on. Our churches were homes. So what is Jesus doing here? And what's Luke recording as they're gathering in a home for prayer, for worship, to proclaim Christ, to hear Christ proclaim, to receive him in the Eucharist, to celebrate the sacraments, and to welcome and to care for people? What's he doing? The inn is the church. The Samaritan is Christ. And he's bringing this man in need to the church and saying, here, I'll give you gifts like the sacraments, like grace, and use it to help this man. I'm going on a journey. But when I come back for you, I will repay you according to how you cared for this man. You see, when we read and we consider the parable of the Good Samaritan, and this is only a recent phenomenon. The early church fathers saw it on those different levels. We just, living in a material life, see it in a material way now, right? And, and, and that's part of its history. But there are deeper layers here. And what Jesus is saying is that if you want eternal life, like the scribe asked, then love the Lord your God, yes, with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, but also love your neighbor as yourself. And not just in a, in a material sense, but in a moral sense. In a sense of truth heals and brings life. In a sense of the spiritual life, the relationship with Jesus Christ. In a sense of a church filled with people who proclaim Christ in order to remember Christ and to live Christ so that Christ can be brought to others who need him. At the beginning, I told you a story of a man, a holy man, who arrives in the city to proclaim Christ. And he did that. And many people were brought to faith. But over time, many walked the way of the world well, everyone else is doing it, so, so will I. It's okay. But that man kept proclaiming Jesus Christ. And not only for the sake of them, but for his own sake. So that he would always be ready to live both parts of what brings us to eternal life. Loving God fully 
And by loving God, having that love in ourselves to love us with God's love rather than the world's version of love so that we can love them with God's love rather than the world's version of love.